Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special 73rd episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games, card games, all the games that can be played on a table, on the floor, on a balcony, in a gazebo, on by the side of a pool. On a banister. Oh, mm, that sounds improbable. And this episode, we're talking about the very best ones. <gasps> I'm wearing my tuxedo. Matthew Lees, sat opposite me, is wearing... Suspenders to hold up my trousers. Uh, I'm Quentin Smith. I should have said my own name. And um, we have Paul Dean over in America. What are you wearing, Paul? Um, wow. Uh, I'm wearing a green top that has a picture of a bear on and some black jeans that have a hole in the knee. That, Whoa, this is a family show, Paul. Please calm I, it. I'm uh, so sorry. But also that is uh, improper dress for the event that is about to take place. Uh, so every year, uh, the members of the Shut Up and Sit Down, for, I say every year as if this is an ancient <laughs> tradition. They Since did it, time immemorial. Uh, they did it last year. I say they. Uh, it was a forum user who goes by the name of CLG6000. Um, who knows what his real name is? <laughs> all members of the Shut Up and Sit Down forum vote on, uh, on various awards because frankly, you know, the members of the Shut Up and Sit Down editorial team are telling people what board games to buy for 365 mm-hmm. days a year just once just once guys we can listen to what other people have to say and then announce whether they are right or wrong in their opinions great this is gonna go well (laughs) that's the end of that sentence (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it is indeed honestly though huge thanks to everyone who voted but i can say that because i voted (gasps) yes i was involved in this uh yeah, I did. Why didn't I, I didn't. I stayed out to be like an impartial observer, like a referee or like, you know, a UN weapons <laughs> inspector or something. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm so sorry. It's quite early you, in the morning. I love this, though, because like we get a lot of um, uh, some well-meaning, some interesting flack when we when we delve into the score ratings of other websites, of other areas, like mm. Board Game Geek's Top 100. People can be a bit like... Blah, 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 blah. But with this, it's interesting. It's like... The rebellious offspring. It's like these people have all come to our website and our forum because they they like us. But then what do they think? <laughs> do they secretly think that mum and dad are there, bad and wrong? Mm, there's <laughs> elements of rebellion in here looking at some of these results. And I'm so. down with that. I love it. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Um, I, before we move on, though, I will quickly say that if you're not uh, reading shutupandsitdown.com, our, uh, I almost called it our sister website there. That's not true. <laughs> it's just our website. Um, we get all kinds of written articles up there. But uh, recently, in the last couple of weeks, I published an article that did very, very well. It was the top board gaming books according to us. Um, and I mention this now for two reasons. The first of which is you should go read it because it's got some fiction in there, got some nonfiction. It's got Ryan Knizia's book of dice games, or yeah. called Dice Dice Games Properly Explained. That book is is fabulous. It's literally just hundreds and hundreds of dice games. Yeah, explained. It's, it's just which sounds incredibly boring. But the fun thing about dice games, as I found out when I read that book, is that loads of these games just aren't played anymore, and they're incredible. Um, loads of gambling games or probability games. I love Liar's Dice. If you're aware of um. That oh, uh, yeah. game. That's a good if you game. Haven't played that, you have to do it. You have to play that. And you just need some cups and some dice to play it. Mm. But there's a similar game in it called Ooh, Big Small or something. Um, but I was it <laughs> I can't remember the last time I was reading a manual of a game and laughing out loud at every single rule. Like just a, a, such a funny bluffing game. 
Um, but here's the thing, guys. I forgot to mention a book. Uh, right? I know. And now most people have gone and read the article. There was no point updating the article. How's that possible? There are only about 12 books. I know, and yeah. I forgot one of them. And that uh, book is called Indoor Games for Awkward Moments by Ruth Blakely. And this was written in 1900. Whoa. 118 years ago. I am willing to bet that 118 years ago, before the invention of Netflix and Hulu, <laughs> there were lots of awkward indoor moments. Yep, and so this book... Tells you how to solve all of them. Yes, Paul. Wait, wait, wait. So th this is still, you feel, relevant and appropriate and something that any Shut Up and Sit Down podcast listener could learn something from. This isn't, like, horribly out of date. Because that's, well, you know, Victorian. <laughs> it's, it's a book from 180 years ago. Uh, yeah, it's a combination. I think I want to tell people to buy it, partially because some of the games in it are, you know, legitimately quite good. There's a really, gr and they're with amazing illustrations. Um, there's a great one where... You have two gentlemen of the house, and they're each given a rolled-up newspaper. They lie down on the floor, <laughs> blindfolded, <laughs> and then everyone else, everyone watches as uh, these men. One of them yells like like something like "Are you there?" And the other one says, "Yes, I'm there." And then they have to kind of crawl towards each other, and the object is to hit each other on the head with rolled-up newspaper. Um, oh, this sounds like we should cherry pick the best of these games. I think we've killed Paul with this. this we should definitely cherry pick some... the best of these games for this live is... uh, no. shocks. Yes, absolutely. We, I've, I'm way ahead of you, Matthew. Um, <laughs> I want to do Victorian Parlor Game World Championships at uh, oh. the Shut Up and Sit Down convention in Vancouver this time. I, I will happily lie on the ground and shuffle around like a worm trying to hit someone. With I, I call shotgun. Uh, well, you two Are can you do there? it. But... <laughs> there, sir. I am here. Uh, yes, and then there's there are some funny word games. There are some weird games that how puzzles used to be. Um, but I don't want to spoil much more than that. So that's indoor games for awkward moments by Ruth Blakely. But if you want to know more about books that I consider great books, if you're interested in board gaming, um, mm. then you can just search for that on shutupandsitdown.com. It's a great little article. Uh, but uh, the people. I can hear them. They're banging on the door. They want to know all about the Purple's Choice 2017. I can't let them in. There's too many out there. No, that's why we're going to release this podcast and then hopefully they'll just stop knocking at the door. This is Paul, just survival have... horror. Yes. But, mm, do um, I, sorry, do I have? It's survival joy, Pauline. Um, do you have the nominees for best Kickstarter delivered in 2017? I do. I have them open in a tab right now. I've already looked at the results, so uh, I'm going to announce these in a random order that doesn't actually give away what came top. Um, <laughs> among we, the, wait, so you're doing this like the Oscars? Yes. Uh, if you're going to do that, I want the same delivery as well, just for this one. Could the winner be Lisboa? Could it be the Seventh Continent? Could it be Gloomhaven? Could it be Sagrada, or could it be near and far? It's not near and far. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they now. don't. I'm pretty sure they don't frame it at the Oscars like a who done it. They really <laughs> should, though. <laughs> and then, uh, when your name is announced as the winner, you have to sprint out of the building as fast as possible. <laughs> Uh, Paul, can we have the winner, please? The winner is. Uh, let me just open this envelope. It's Gloomhaven. It's Gloomhaven! Wow. The crowd, you can hear them going wild. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, 63% of the vote. 
60 wow that's obscene that is shocking um matthew as the member of the team who reviewed gloomhaven last year i have to take this this award (laughs) yeah yeah, you must be very proud at this moment it's a fun game for two to four players (laughs) (laughs) you don't need to do your entire review again possibly one to four how does this make you feel uh i mean sure i I think it's one of those games where everyone loves it everyone gets very excited should we give a potted explanation we should throughout these awards we're going to be giving little explanations of games Uh, it's a basically a dungeon crawler um in a big box it's a little bit like if you imagine that dungeons and dragons was pure tactical no chat with some very mild bits of colour and character and story along the way. It's just tactical combat with a deck of cards that represents your character and you cycle through it in an interesting way. And uh, that, the key thing for that is, for me, the, the the deck of cards and the tactic side of it and the fact that as you use these cards on your turns, they you gradually lose them permanently for the whole of that game and it means that you have basically everything you do is on a bit of a timer and it means that you can choose to burst through your cards quite rapidly and use them for to do powerful things but then risk running out of time and not being able to complete the mission so it's kind of a constant balancing act between like oh maybe we should go and do this maybe we should do this maybe you should fly across the room and do a giant fireball and then it misses and you go oh no (laughs) i'm curious though because it's funny that this game has received such critical acclaim when you a criticism you made in the review um it's something i've seen online elsewhere Mm -hmm. which is that at four players it's really very very slow and even Mm -hmm. with three it's quite slow and we're not the biggest fans of one-player games here at Shadow and Sit Down, um, which is a real thing if you're listening to this. Uh, you can play a lot of board games solo, mm-hmm. um, which isn't something that we do personally. So really, what we've got here is a game that's perfect for two and two only. I don't know. I think it works with three. I think four is a point where it starts to slow down. I think that the tricky thing about it, though, is that it is very bitty and admin-y. And I know there mm. are things that fix this. I know somebody's made an unofficial app, which you can use on an iPad, and it will track a lot of stuff and basically remove the need for lots of little decks of cards and lots of little chips, which is admittedly a good thing because it's got too much going on. However, there is something strangely comforting about the admin in this game. And I think it's... Uh, it's definitely an integral part of it. I think it doesn't tickle everyone's biscuit, but it does mine. And there's something about <laughs> shifting things around and putting poison tokens on things and doing some mild mathematics and then shuffling decks that it would you either look at it and go, this is madness. Why would I spend my time doing this? Or it's mildly pleasing. There's something about am... the neatness of getting out and tidying it away. I don't know. I'm intimidated by just repeat a thing that I've heard that's, I don't know, a criticism of some description of the game isn't, you know, anything wrong with the mechanics or anything, or even the fact that it's long. I've just repeatedly heard people saying over the last few months that it's a beast to set up. Just the act of physically getting it out the box and preparing the things that you need. And that, I think, more than anything else, is uh, what is actually putting me off trying it at the moment with other people because of this. this... You're looking at 45 minutes to get it out and 45 minutes to put it away. It's a big thing, um, but there's something about it as an experience that, as I said in my review, it reminds me a lot of uh, like 1990s uh, hack and slash dungeon crawler game, video games. There's something about it that's just very pleasing, and it's just a lot of fun to jump through these dungeons, killing things. It reminded me of being a child and playing Hero Quest before I realized that Hero Quest really actually didn't have that much to it. it it's, was, you like the people in general like the idea of Hero Quest yeah. more than actually. Yeah, I, I think so. Oh yeah, but not. I really like it. I haven't managed to get to the table many times since because it's one of those things where it's just such a huge time sink. But I really want to play it. That's the interesting thing is it's not like, oh, I've reviewed that, now I'm done with it. 
I'm just I'm exhausting my current player base with other things I need to check out. It's tough. Uh, one interesting thing, though, I'll pivot the conversation a bit, Paul, because you're talking about it being a beast to set up. Yeah. If we look at um, the Purple's Choice winners uh, in the top five, we've got number one, Gloomhaven, number two, Sagrada, but then number... Uh, ooh, Sagrada and Seventh Continent tied for second place. Um, oh, yeah, 18%. Both of them getting 18% of the vote. Um, but seventh, seventh Continent was a big sort of choose-your-own-adventure island exploring game. Then Lisboa is a really hugely big and complicated um, Euro game about rebuilding Portugal after a fire. Um, near and far, well, I suppose, so we've got Lisboa, Seventh Continent, and Gloomhaven, all of which, three of the top five things, and all of which are so big and complicated. Well, yeah, we know this, and we, we kind of fear it slightly as well when we come to review things, because we know that the things that are big and weighty and expensive are things that, and especially things that are also kickstarted, are things that people form attachments to long before they actually receive them, or very quickly want to convince themselves that what they've got is a good thing. Um, it's just very lucky, well, not lucky, it's, it's just good in the case of Gloomhaven that you are forming an attachment, possibly more so than you would normally, but to something that does inherently have something that's quite magical. Have we ever talked on this podcast before about the fact that if you ask people how much a painting is worth, um, and they'll say, like, say, $100, but if people um, own a painting, the, their estimation of the price instantly goes up. So if you say if people would say this is worth a hundred dollars and you go well actually it's yours now you'll go well it's worth one hundred and twenty five dollars actually <laughs> wow um, which is which is a number so you can put a real number on the uh, sort of increased value that people have simply when they own something absolutely and I think there's a lot of like uh, and we see this you know we noticed on board game geeks and people did some stats to be like you know over time things do gradually slide down I think there is something to be said about the fact oh, that people get things gradually slide down on Board Game Geek but the study you're referring to I believe is that Kickstarter games slide down more yeah. in, in the year after they're uh, sort of they're received by value. yeah so I think it's one of those things where like Gloomhaven is a huge big box experience of promise and people got hyped up for it and people still get hyped up for it and I think it's really nice that it basically I think it's left lots of people very happy because it's um, one of these times where it really does deliver it uh, might Paul, have the you... staying power. I was going to just add, it might feel that it has that because I, I already see discussions about Seventh Continent, the other one that's uh, in this top five that's this big fantasy-ish kind of thing where people mm. are going a little colder as well. Yeah. Sorry, Quinns, you were going to say something else. Uh, yeah, before we, we should move on uh, soon-ish, but I was going to ask you how you feel about Sagrada being in the number two slot because... Uh, Sagrada, game, lovely game of building dicey stained glass windows, but there were a few good abstract games last year. You reviewed Azul, which you liked a lot, and then I think Isle of Sky was the year before. But the, if you're building a sort of nice puzzly grid uh, type thing, I feel like Sagrada has some stiff competition. It, I, I mean, I, I gave it a written review uh, last year, and I said I enjoyed it, but it didn't quite earn one of our recommended badges, and I'm surprised to see it up there, but then also not disappointed because it's it is such a pleasant game and it's such a pretty game and it is a game it puts you in this kind of unique situation where it's really easy to learn and the, because it's about building a pattern uh building a stained glass window according to a pattern where you can't put dice of the same color next to each other or dice of the same number every game has this sort of arc where it starts really easy and you can put your dice down and be like oh i've put this five next to this one because that's easy i've got loads of space and the end of the game for everyone is is hell, is torture. Of like, I, all I need is a blue four. How do I not have a blue four anywhere? This is insane. Um, and that is, that's still fun. And everybody I know, everyone I've spoken to has that same experience of, look at this benign, cute game. Oh God, I'm going insane. 
<laughs> I don't know. It's it's good, and maybe I didn't love it, but I'm glad that it did well because it has a sort of I don't know, almost a modesty to it where it's not trying to be overcomplicated or. So, so many Kickstarters want to look big and exciting and good value for money, so they throw everything at the wall. Whereas Sagrada is just like, I'm a game about this, you like me or you don't. And I kind of respect that. Speaking of which, guess which one of you two lucky boys I arranged yesterday to have Rising Sun and all of the expansions sent to? Is it me? It's Matthew Lee! <laughs> it's me! <laughs> Hooray! Uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't looked at some Simon stuff for a while, so that'll be interesting. I love games. Uh, so uh, we have our next category coming up. Uh, next category <clears throat> is <clears throat> best Quentin Smith. It's Quentin Smith. Oh, and yes, moving I... swiftly on oh. to the next <laughs> category, best expansion published and or released in 2017. I'm putting my voiceover voice for this uh, <gasps> this thing. I'm not going to do it in um, Oscar style. I'm going to do it in top of the pop style. At number <gasps> 10, Terraforming Mars, Hellas and Elysium. Hellas, yes. At number 9, Champions of Midgard, Valhalla. Number eight, Tiny Epic Galaxies Beyond the Black. At number seven, Android Netrunner, Terminal Directive. Coming in again at number seven, with a joint seven-inch, <laughs> Dead of Winter, Warring Colonies. Number six, Sheriff of Nottingham, Merry Men. Number five, Arkham Horror, The Path to Carcosa Cycle. Number five, City of Splendors. Number four, Scythe, The Wind Gambit. Coming in at number three, it's Mysterium, Secrets and Lies. At number two, number what? Number two, it's Star Wars Rebellion. Coming up from the rear, Rise of the Empire with 41 votes. But number one, it's number one, it's pushing over the line. It's Arkham Horror, The Dunnage Legacy with 65 votes. That's a, a quite a vast majority. Kind of slid into horse racing there. You might have noticed. Yeah, I did. They just got faster. So both cycles of expansions for the Arkham card game are in We're there in the separately. top five, yeah. It was top number five and number one. Yeah, this is when, a weird... Mm, sorry, Paul, please no, go. No, it's, it's, it's fine. I, I respect Arkham being in there twice. I can see how that would happen. Uh, it does feel weird because I... It's not really an expansion, is it? It's kind of just a continuation of the game. Yeah, also yeah. I get the feeling that those votes are slanted by the fact that when this poll went out, Carcosa, like, I think only the first sixth of it was out. This is a difficult thing to uh, to accept. Drawing the lines for. is tricky. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it's difficult because, you know, with best game, you know, everyone can play a lot of games and throw their votes in. But with best expansion, like, there are expansions in there. I love Mysterium. You will never find a bigger fan of Mysterium uh, mm-hmm. than me, the sort of ghost uh, clue dream-giving game. You're the ghost boy. I'm everyone, the ghost you boy. You love it. Famously. But I don't necessarily think Secretless and Lies is, like, a great expansion. I don't no. think... It's kind of... It does more of the same. And that's fine. That's kind of what I want. But... If, if I'm giving an award to an expansion, you want something that is brilliant, something that completely huh. turns a game around. I well, think that's see, interesting. I, mm, I'm sorry, I don't know. I feel that Secrets and Lies is the one in here that I, I did the job best, to be honest. Yes. Versus well, ro- uh, Rise of the Empire, which just added lots of stuff that didn't always work. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, but that's... No, it, it's. I, I agree with that, certainly. Um, I think it's interesting, and I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I also I see the other side of it as well. I think often what we look for in expansions as people who are... And this is not, I think, a difference between, like, a line here between people who are, like, reviewers of games like us and people who are consumers. Yeah. Um, we look for new, exciting experiences, um, and that's kind of what, really, games do for us. Yes. Um, and that's true for a lot of people who buy, buy and play games as well. It's not just that, you know, 
we're like constantly on the churn for new things. We do go back, you know, we just spent on the weekend, we just, I demanded we got Concordia out again for a rematch because, you know, we do we do <laughs> go back to old stuff quite frequently. Um, but at the same time, I think when we got an expansion, I think that um, you've talked about this a lot recently, actually, of, of wanting something that's going to like reinvigorate the game, give it a completely fresh slant. And yes. I kind of feel the same way as well because really it's like, that's a huge amount of value. If you can have this game that's already great, but then you can have this thing which just flips it on its head and makes it another experience. That's incredible value. Yeah. But I can also, I can understand as well um, how lots of people just have their favorites and they just, oh, they want to freshen it up. I just think it's a difficult category to assign votes for. And, you know, it's terrible that on our own podcast talking about our readers' own awards, I'm like, well, this award is, like, actually, weirdly, <laughs> I was going to say, this award makes no sense. But it's not that it makes no sense. It's that there are no good solutions for this. We, no. We were just no. talking uh, to peel back the vinyl a bit about the possibility of maybe doing some kind of award ceremony at Shucks and mm-hmm. what that would look like. And we instantly encountered impossible problems in every single way you can possibly yeah. approach it. I mean, yeah. it, to flip the mirror on an even easier thing, do you remember when we were doing the revamp of Shut Up and Sit Down? And we were talking about like, hey, how, how are we going to categorize the games on the games page so people can search between different types of games? And oh, even we, that, we, we were like... And we still do oh, sometimes. You know, a, we do. a new game goes up and it's... Sounds really mundane, but what is the right tag for this? Is does this count as a heavy game? It, what? Where is? Yeah. Who draws that line in the sand and says everything on this side is heavy or this is? You know, even for expansions, what is an expansion versus what's a standalone expansion? Yeah, we had um, like separate entries here for the Arkham Horror, different Arkham Horror expansions, but then for Ashes, they just had a general uh, category for all, just all Ashes expansions, <laughs> just just all of them. It's just so tough. I think people are just going to be inclined to vote for expansions that they have played that they quite liked, yeah, which is which is fine. But that's a it's a very narrow. Um, it means you'll get votes disproportionately going towards the expansion that people bought the most. Well, yeah, and I guess actually an interesting question about that is you know how 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 frequently do people buy expansions? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, we know it has to. Be, <laughs> boy, has this conversation got completely off track? But. Um, <laughs> We know that people have to buy expansions because just about any game that is successful gets an expansion. And in fact, Kickstarters, before the game is even out, will have one or sometimes two expansions baked into the Kickstarter Mm. page, which is preposterous. But I think outside of Kickstarter, which as we've discussed so many times is a weird, wibbly, jelly world of opportunities and (laughs) problems we don't quite understand, um, I think it's interesting. I wonder, like, what are the games that people, what are the motivations for people thinking, yeah, I'm going to buy an expansion for that. Because personally, I find the reason I buy an expansion is I play a game like maybe once or twice and think, I really love this game. And it's less actually about me being like, you know, I rinse this game, I want something new from it. And more being like, I love this game, I want to get all the things for it to... And I wonder, especially with Mysterium, which is just a case of maybe people just love it, so they just buy more stuff for it. And well, it's, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's an element of, to which it plays into you being a collector and you want the expansion for completion's sake. Like, I am so happy with my copy of Cosmic Encounter at home that has six expansions in the box. I think I must have only played with about three of them. Yeah, I've actually got some of mine unopened. Uh, I've I've got two expansions maybe still in the wrap just because... Which is ridiculous. If, well, it, what I like to do is every now and then when I get some friends around and we're going to play actually, it, we're just like, yeah. let's open a new one. And it means you know you're all going to get something completely fresh. It's interesting. But it's- I mean, again, that's interesting in the fact that Cosmic is adding just new stuff, but because of the nature of Cosmic, you're changing the game. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff here. And I think, yeah, like, I mean, I, the Dead of Winter Warring Colonies is something I haven't heard a huge amount. Well, of, actually. so it's interesting. We have not played Warring Colonies. If people aren't aware, Dead of Winter is ordinarily a, a what's called a, a hidden, hidden motive game. 
Um, hidden identity game, rather. Hidden role. That's the word. Um, you're all survivors in a wintry zombie apocalypse, uh, working together to make sure that your colony survives. But maybe one of you is a betrayer who wants the colony to fail. So you all go off into the snow and you know look for things like gasoline and food, and maybe you're hiding some. Warring Colonies bolts two copies of Dead of Winter together um, so that you have two tables of like four, five, however many players, and then those colonies are competing. So if you have a load of guns, the colonies will actually fight, and then whichever team has more guns can win, but each team probably will still have a betrayer on their team. And so, yes, it's a very interesting expansion. It's a monumental pain to actually set up a game of it and mm -hmm. teach it to eight people and organize it. Uh, John Perkis of um, the YouTube series Actual LOL, which we're quite big fans of here at Shut Up and Sit Down, um, did play it. And um, he described it to me as kind of a novelty. Like, he wouldn't do it again, but it was kind of a fun day. Yeah, it sounds like that. It sounds like it's a kind of maybe a Walking Dead version of Twilight hmm. Imperium in terms of, like, not the game, but in terms of, like, it's a put a day aside... Yeah, and, you know, and I like those put-a-day-aside games, but yeah. What is an expansion for, guys? We just don't know. What is love? <laughs> uh, That's baby, something else. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Do you want me to read category. some thing? It's, back? It's, it's my turn, Matthew. It's your turn. Have Pass a thing. the envelope. Uh, right, so moving on, we have... Uh, this refers to a forum user of ours. Not just a forum user. A moderator. A moderator. Oh, and an assistant in uh, keeping our website alive. Yes. <laughs> uh, this is the second annual Eric Tangblad Award for best game of the previous year, brackets 2016. I only got to play for the first time this year, brackets 2017. Award. <laughs> um, so this is good. I like this, uh, this uh, sort of middle finger raised to the march of time. <laughs> Who says that we need to keep buying things and talking about new games? Oh no, we're going to talk about 2016 it's, as well. It's a very mild middle finger though. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind a, of a middle finger height in, in, in the table. In fairness, sort <laughs> yeah. of with release dates being what they are and shipping, you know, ships trundling their way around the world, sometimes you only get stuff the year after anyway. Oh, it's a nightmare. We'll often review stuff being like, this is a new game. And then commenters will be like, Quinn's, it's been out for three years. <laughs> but I won't know because like the first print run was really small and it's yes. sold out instantly so yes. it feels like the second print run is the first and it's like a bit like kind of if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there like if a print run sells out so quickly yeah that no one saw it did the game actually come out no it no, didn't exactly we know that for a fact um so we have uh we'll skip to the top five i think uh so this is really kind of interesting because it's like a game of the year list but given a year's worth of hindsight yeah. Um, so people are a little less sort of swept up by hype. So we have once again a joint five. That this this is more crazy than it seems. Like when we have all these joint uh, winners, it, it you'd assume it's because seven people have voted, but like the number of votes are like double or triple figures. Um, but for number five, with exactly the same number of votes, we have Scythe and Burgle Brothers by Tim um, by Tim Fowers. Wow. Uh, number four, we have Great Western Trail. At number three, the Arkham Horror Living Card Game. At number two, it's Captain Sonar. And number one, it's Inish. That's interesting. the right answer. That's the correct game to have at the top of this category. I think so, actually. There I think because I, I, I came to Inish <laughs> a little later than you guys. I think I saw the review and I thought, yeah, that's something I'm gonna. If people aren't involved with Inish, is a um, it's the third in Matigo's kind of um, ancient peoples trilogy. They don't have an actual name for it, but there's Cyclades, the game of bidding for the attention of gods on little island chains. Uh, there's Comet, the profoundly strange game of being 
sort of Egyptians and kind of violent Egyptians. Yeah. Super violent. Come at me, bro. Eagle. Yes. It's that's... more like some like the mummy or the scorpion king where you just summon, you know, undead yeah. things and It's like bite. you told someone the plot of the Scorpion King and then he had 24 hours to make a game of I really it. I kind of really want it's a, it's a big box, but I really I kind of want to find room for Kemet somewhere. Oh, Kemet is really interesting. I, I love it. I th- it it actually, I believe, is the highest voted of the three on Board Game Geek, which is interesting to me because I think by f- yeah, ah. I think by far it's the most sloppy design. Yeah, it is a bit. It's a bit like more American, kind of trashy than yeah, than yeah, other is. things. But and it's got slightly too much going on. But I, it kind of fits in a, the same box for me as like Forbidden Stars almost. Yes, but it's neater than that. It's less like. Forbidden Stars is a bit too, like, the wheels have come off on this. <laughs> For me. <laughs> sure. You know. um, so, I still love it, though. There's something about... So, yeah. with Heinz... So, at, at the end of um, 2016, I think, as a as an editorial team, uh, I think Matt and I were talking about whether Inish was the game of the year or it was the Arkham Horror 11 card game. Mm. Um, mm. And, yeah, I suppose with time, I'd be more inclined to to say that Inish is it. But I, I don't know. I, it's... It's a bit unfair because I mean, Inish is. I mean, a, we, these are apples and oranges. These. Yeah, games. I mean, especially with that, I think like it's funny. The more I've played um, Arkham Horror, because it, it's it's dependent on so many different things as well. It's dependent on things like the quality of the writing as it goes on, like, and also the quality of the framework of the rules. And as I've gone on, I've found like that. As I've gone on, I found more and more things I like about it. But as I've gone on, I've also found more and more things that aren't quite right about it. Um, but it's again, it's because it's trying to be this extended thing, whereas Inish is just like. When you've got a much simpler system like that, it's it's going to hold up better. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very interested in the new expansion they've released for the Arkham Horror LCG that takes you to Mexico and old Aztec temples because I think that's yes. really colourful and I, I that, like the look of that. I mean, that sounds very gods. very very atmospheric. But uh, that said, I'm very interested in the new expansion they've released for Inish, which <clears throat> you know adds oh, all these they're about seasons. to release. You mean? Yeah, which we uh, were very lucky to get a sort of exclusive early look at at our convention last year, but. My goodness, that I, I have played Inish, I want to say, like almost constantly since it's come out. Every month or two, I've had another game of it. And I guess, yeah, it's I get not it out a stop. lot. You know what's interesting, though, of this list, um, with the exception of Burgle Brothers, um, Tim Farrow's wonderful game of uh, robbery, um, all of these games have received big expansions to keep them going. And Great Western Trail has an expansion coming out we're excited about. Same for Inish, same for the Arkham Horror LCG. What I find really interesting and I'd like to talk about for a hot second is Captain Sonar. Yeah, um, I'm actually quite surprised that's that high, well, in a good way. The interesting thing about Captain Sonar, if people aren't aware, it's a 4v4 real-time game of submarine combat. It's completely crazy. One person is listening to the other team's instructions as they go around. They're the sonar operator. So as the other captain on the other side of the screen goes like, up, left, up, you're drawing that on a sheet of perspex and moving the perspex around to try and figure out where they are. It's 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 an incredible, weird design. Everyone, I think, played it once and went, wow, this is great. Um, but Captain Sonar's expansion, I find very interesting because it was it's called like Upgrade Pack 1 and it had new maps and it had new special weapons and a lot of stuff which fits the game in as much as like if you were playing it every week and you wanted it to be more complicated and more like involved then it's great but the expansion came out I've seen no one talk about it I received it and had no inclination to play Captain Sonar because I think it fundamentally misunderstands why people play that game Mm. like the reason to get all your friends together and play Captain Sonar is for most people a novelty it's kind of a day game because you need six, seven, eight people and it's real time which means a lot of energy is involved so unless you know you work at a place where you can get it out on a lunch break or something it's so much effort to play it which means I think what they needed from the expansion is more novelty like an expansion that you know 
like the original concept of Captain Sana itself, is something that people hear about and go, oh my goodness, I need to try that. But in making it more complicated and nuanced, like I look at the expansion and go, I could barely play the original game anyway, and you want to make it more complicated? You know, it's funny. Like I've seen people playing it and just being like machines. Um, we had a yeah. thing where like, and I'm actually really pleased to see uh, this has been as popular as it has been because like... Um, I loved your review of it and I just thought, wow, this game is going to be amazing. And then we were actually at, me and Paul were at GDC last year. We're all yeah. going again this year with demoing games to people and playing games. And I remember, um, this was where I think me and Paul, Paul saw the same thing. Some people played this amazingly, like round yes, after round. and religiously. And they were like machines and it was amazing. They got so good at it, but it's like, you know, it was like watching people playing Street Fighter or something. Just being like <laughs> these teams up against each other. And uh, that's who the expansion is for. Yeah, and like they just yeah. had it down. Although oh, at the also, same time. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go for it. Matt, no, no, finish that thought because I'm still digesting something in my brain. Sure. Yeah. Um, basically, the other thing we found was that I played a game of it. I played a couple of games and they fell so flat. And it was just that um, in this setting at GDC, where we had a lot of different sorts of people, lots of people from all walks of the video game industry. Um, GDC some, is the Game Developers Convention, which we run a board game lounge at. Yeah. And some board game designers and board game. People are there as well. But um, yeah, we just found that like the whole whole idea of this area is people just come check out board games, try board games. So we have people who are really into different sorts of things who were just experimenting and trying things, which is brilliant. That's what the world should be like. But we found that I played a couple of games and we just had um, one week link on our team and it just, yeah. it was it was awful. It was incredibly awkward because it was just this thing of like, because it's real time, the other team literally, yeah, we played it and the other team found our submarine and destroyed it in literally about seven seconds. Oh my God. And then we were like, let's have a rematch. And the same thing happened again. And it was just like, everyone basically just sat in silence with everyone being like, no one wanting to say, let's play again. <laughs> because it was just very obvious that there was just one player who just wasn't up to it. And that's not their fault. And it kind of made me realize, I was like, oh man, this game might be one of the best games ever made, but ideally I want to play this with seven clones of Quentin Smith. <laughs> yeah. You need people who are like driven, high energy, understand the puzzle and are going to throw themselves at it to and also everything just they've got. When they get hunted and absolutely destroyed, they're going to love that as yes, well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's I mean you've you've almost formulated sort of what I was going to say which is it occurs to me we had a really good time playing this at Gen Con. We had a really good time playing this at GDC. We had a good time playing it in a public space where we had sort of, you know, an endless supply of people who were all in the mood to meet other people and try new stuff anyway. I've heard uh, a lot of people bounce off it and sort of say it falls flat and say that that's partly because they've not been able to get the right crowd for it. And sure. having the right crowd of like eight people who are diligent enough to play the game and sort of outgoing enough to feel happy shouting at each other, it requires a kind of person um, yeah. And Quinn's, I was just going to add you, I mean, we talked about this, was it about a year ago now when you said it was not one of your top five games of the year a year ago? And I was surprised, but I am seeing more and more, I'm seeing why it's not. Well, here's an interesting thing. Um, and by interesting, I mean, like, it's almost the opposite of interesting. It's almost boring, but... Uh, they released a game called Sonar last year, which, mm. which uh, you know, 
joke not in- intended, like went under everyone's radar. Um, no one really talked about it, <laughs> but it takes Captain Sonar and simplifies it. So it's not for two to eight, it's for two to four. Yeah. And it takes away a lot of the fiddly silly stuff, like drawing a line around the submarine and every time you move, part of it breaks. So it takes it just down to the captain and the sonar operator. And I've heard a few people say like, it's really good. It's really good. And like better and far more importantly, and we're coming around on the idea of this. It's easy to get to the table, which yeah. might be the most important thing a yeah. board game can be. Yeah. So never mind the expansion for it and you know, trying to get eight players. Head, I think, it down. I, think yeah. I might have to get home and order us a copy of Sonar. I'd be really up for checking that out because I just think it's easier to find the right number of people rather than doing that thing, which so often happens with when you're playing board games with people, when you require a lot of people, you're yeah. like, oh, but we need six for this. So... Let's drag in some people who maybe aren't going to enjoy it as much. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you know, if you've got your core group of people and you know these guys will love it, then you don't have to worry about getting in more folks from outside of that. And uh, but no, what cheers me about this though is like I think when we saw that and when I saw a couple of games really fall flat, I kind of felt a little unsure and I was like, ah, oh, you know. But it really cheers me to see that obviously um, a lot of the people in the forums and stuff have had the same experience. And I feel like sometimes it's like easy for us to look at this, especially with games like this that require energy, to then see them out in the wild not doing as not play, being enjoyed as much as we thought they might. And I might sometimes be like, ah, oh. but then it's like, well, you know, we can't emulate what it's like to, to not be us. No, so. of course not. <laughs> but it's good to see that people aren't going, hey, this is not fun. You yeah. said I'd have fun. People having fun. Which is always the fear when we recommend games. Of I've course. Ta- I've talked about this a lot. I go, everyone should buy this game. And then a month later, I see everyone buying it and I go, oh no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we want people to have fun. Speaking of, uh, speaking of oh no, I've realized we are rattling through far more so than usual on the Shadow Up and Sit Down board cut podcast, an incredible number of board games, all kinds of names being thrown out left and right. If you would like any more information on any of the games discussed on this podcast, just head to shutupandsitdown.com, head to the podcastle section, click on number 73. We'll have links to the Purple's Choice and uh, as much of our coverage of all these games as I can manage. Mm, Yeah. And as we uh, head into the final stretch, Paul, (gasps) do you want the honors of talking about best game published and or released in 2017? Oh, I think I'm ready. All right, I'm going to do a countdown with some numbers. Is everybody uh, braced? Do you have your seatbelts on? I do. I don't. There's no seatbelt on my chair. What? Uh, Sorry, yeah, no, there aren't. Well, counting down from number six, because I want to make a special mention of number six, we begin (laughs) with 10% of the vote going to Fog of Love, which I think would have got a larger share of the vote if it had come out earlier in the year and more people would have played it. Uh, I still haven't yet, but there is secret tidbit of information here. Uh, I think a chance that we'll all be together in the same place next month and we can play it maybe even on camera. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that idea. Get one of a, get, get, take up to one of our bedrooms, perhaps. Ooh. Oh my goodness. And, uh, uh, but yeah, no, I'm very looking forward to this game of uh, relationships that can be functional or dysfunctional. Uh, then in you know what? Five, should we, do, should we oh, talk sorry. about each of these games as we work through the list? Is that, yes. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> um, I've got a theory about Fog of Love, um, which has only had coverage on the site in the form of Matt and myself excitedly talking about it um, on a previous podcast. Mm. We're going to be doing a real review, I think, next month. Mm-hmm. Um, nice big video. But um, I have a theory that Fog of Love is a two-off, because it's supposed to be this intense two-player game. I think it is either an intense and quiet and introspective two-player game or a really funny three to four-player game. Yeah. And because we we never mentioned this on the Pax Unplugged podcast, but as this game where you're simulating a relationship and all of the heartbreak and incompatibility and and often sadness that comes Mm. involved with that, because most relationships don't work, who knew? You've got to have a third wheel. 
you do have to have a third <laughs> wheel who just sits there watching and going, this and is I a think disaster. maybe just a third wheel. I don't know if four. Four might be too many. You think? I think with four, like the two people who aren't playing might just get distracted and start chatting to each other or doing something else. But just having, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, but having a third person who has nothing to do but pay attention to the game, it was it was shocking. How- I think it's the I think it's the it's having the single person is because it means that then because you get into the role of your character you have this this person that you can then like moan to about the other person <laughs> but it's like it's like in a real relationship you having this this joint friend you're like you're on my side right like but it's not real so it's not stressful yeah i just think that's not something i've seen talked about and i was just so i can't think of a game that transforms more between like one player count Especially yeah. because it's meant to be a two-player game, but I think it's secretly a three-player game. Yeah, even though they don't play. Strange. They're playing. They're still trying to pull your strings. They're like, you should do that. I mean, they're, yeah. They're guilt-tripping you when you do bad things. And there's that curious loneliness of two where, like, you know, you say, let's move in together, and the other person goes, no. And then, like, <laughs> in a three-player game, you can go, what? Why? What's the matter with you? In a two-player game, you go, is it me? <laughs> you know, it's so different. Um, Especially as well, because I think that the key thing, um, we got so into it, I think, that we kind of forgot that the, the gist of it is it's supposed to be a, like an interactive romantic comedy that yes. unfolds, that you build. And I think there was still a lot of that. We were still like making ourselves laugh. I think it's just we were, as being the sorts of people we are and having the sorts of brains we have, making it a bit more of a darker romantic comedy. Yeah. With a lot of moments of like, oh, this is pretty intense this relationship's really pretty rocky i can't wait to see what the expansions do for it but then there was still like moments of silliness like the run we had at one point where deep into relationship i was like oh yeah i'm married and i have kids <laughs> <laughs> and it just being like what yeah it's almost ridiculous unfolding so i think also it does you're right it's i guess it's because it really is quite a performative game it's a game yeah. where like you are you are collaborating to create a story but like in a role-playing game, you you know, when you're adding your additions to the story, you're trying to do so with the most flair and fun or gravity that you can. And so having people watching yeah. is uh, a lot of fun. Again, though, I think it's something that could fall flat if people don't get into it. Well, I think that inherently, and this is, I think, the, the reason why we were kind of a bit blown away by it and the magic of it, inherently because of a lot of the framework for the settings that it uses are things like, you know, you're going to Ikea. What's going to happen here? Or like, you know, You've got a secret past with a lover. They're inherently things that even if people don't have a personal framework for it, although a lot of them, you will. Um, you, you've seen so many films and TV, so much of it's tropes that I think we found quite effortlessly we fell into the shoes of these characters, even though we just invented them five minutes ago. Yeah, but again, <laughs> how much of that is because we're both married men who've been dealing with... I don't know. This terrible life and that will be an interesting thing uh and actually you know we did have some people when we were playing it in hotel bars around uh pax unplugged last year we did have some people who dropped by to sort of watch and didn't get it and were kind of like not good spectators because they weren't you know getting that it was they a were game also of... they were also a lot younger I think. yeah well maybe but i don't know if that's a coincidence or not exactly, but you know yeah. it's that thing of being like they didn't kind of get the feel that it was if they were going to sit at the table and join us then they had to spectate it as if it was real yeah mm. like kind of it's definitely a tricky one and i'm looking forward to handling all of these uh, tricky questions in the review and paul i would love to talk to you about number four on our list well number four is an excellent choice with 12 percent of the vote it is azul the game of glorious tile laying and sort of rearranging and sorting and then dropping onto the floor and breaking and losing points <laughs> for 
if people haven't seen Paul's uh, video review of Azul, it was uh, a lot of people called it their favorite review of ours uh, last year. Uh, in a year with a lot of strong Nonsense. competition as well. Yeah, I, mean, I, I personally was shocked, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, he, he was livid. He was he was throwing around vases, ordering more vases from the internet, and then throwing them around. It was That's it where was, all that money went. Yeah, unbelievable. Sorry, uh, Paul. How do you feel about Azul? A few months on from your review, I'm trying to not have it as my game of the year for last year because I don't think it was. But then I it I don't know what was it was definitely like in my top three things that i played last year uh, and that's partly because it sort of ambushed me like a submarine just coming out of nowhere because i thought it was going to be this twee pattern making game that you play with a few people and it is but it's also vicious and it's also quite canny and you have this this mechanism where the tiles that you take to add to your patterns uh, deny other people, but there's a way you can also just create lots of crap that other people end up having to not be able to put on their board. So it's this game of sort of, you start off quite nice and you become quite devious as the game goes along and it has this escalation to it and it's really quite clever and it looks really, really nice. It's got a lovely feel, it's got a lovely visual design uh, and I think it's kind of family friendly. It's one of those things that I, in the review, I said like people could play in the holiday season, and I kind of hope that some people did that—that that they were able to get a copy and play it like with their parents or grandparents or whatever—and be like, "Oh, at Christmas, yeah, yeah." You know, this is something different to Monopoly because I think it's it's got that level of accessibility, but it's uh, it's also exciting enough that everybody is going to get invested in it. Oh, I'm, I want to play it again now. Just well, talking topic- about it. Topically, I have uh, been kind of delighted at the curious story that's come around from the, the next game in the series because Azul did so well for Plan B that they announced that they're going to do a whole series of pretty abstract games and they're all going to have four letters in the name. And I, oh. there was something there was something about it, about the press release that had me being sure. like, did you o- okay. write this? How soon after Azul's success did you write this? Um, but the next game is called Reef um, and it's a game by Amazon Matsuchi, I think, uh, who did um, Century Spice Road and oh, Spectre yes. Ops, of all things. Um, he's a very good up-and-coming designer. Um, really excited to see what he's coming up with. But Reef is a game where you build uh, coral reefs and you kind of draw cards that enable you to place... Uh, Similar to Azul, you have a grid, and then you put little plastic reef tokens of these different colors, which are like three-dimensional things. But you're not just filling a grid like in Azul, because the reef tiles you can build on top of each other. So like a coral reef on one square, you might have a red piece, then a green piece, then a blue piece. And you're kind of trying to create three-dimensional patterns to score. But the plastic doesn't look as nice as Azul. Mm. And so it's funny because Plan B have gone, oh, look, it's another abstract. It's also got four letters in the name. It's also just exactly the same sort of complexity. And they seem to have missed the most important thing, which is everyone standing around and going, but it's not beautiful. Why isn't it beautiful? It's And I don't know if the finished, produ- finished plastic is going to look different, but that early production plastic makes it look just a bit... Mm, mm. I don't want to say... Not, not as nice as it needs to. It's not, yes. it's not even that it's like looks cheap. It probably looks good by traditional board game standards. It's yes, just it does, they yeah. Are, they are literally following... The, the king with his crown. Yeah, and it's, yeah, this is a thing. It's funny. It came out being a bit special, didn't it? Yeah, and they've kind of. It's actually you can tell a lot from this reaction because I think they've gone. Oh well, Azul did better than we thought. That means abstracts must be popular of this level of complexity. Great, and they've done that. Everyone's gone. No, the single most important thing was how good it looked. Mm. And I mean, this is something we've talked about for a very long time. And you always your vision of the future that that if you could map out how you want would be board game collections all these little beautiful boxes like, yes and that's something which we don't see but we do see things that are beautiful yes and it's not a consistent thing but 
yeah, there is an appetite for it, for beautiful boxes with beautiful things in them. But it must be tough to be a publisher because as yeah. we've talked about on Shut Up and Sit Down before, people don't realize why they like a game. Like I think yeah. I think people were probably saying, oh, maybe I like abstracts more than I do because I like Azul. It's like no one realized and also, the degree to which the tiles were the key to enjoyment. And it's all very well to be like, hey, make these really beautifully produced expensive things. But then if they don't sell, then like, <laughs> you've just made gold in a box and it's gone in a bin. <laughs> Or worse, like how often we play games and you think, yeah, the art on this is lovely. It's great production values. Game's not that good. Mm. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't want beautiful junk on shelves that's just going to get dusty. That's true. That's true. Uh, Sorry, Paul. We kind of took your game and then just rambled over it. Interesting to see that uh, one thing that's not on this list, I'll spoil now, is Sidereal Confluence. And I put part of that down to the fact that while that did come out last year, we didn't review it till this year. Mm. So, uh, and other people have done recently, but it's been a bit of a later one for most. It was like a December yeah. release, I think. Yeah. Or November. Yeah. So hopefully, I, I think Sidereal Confluence probably will do quite well on the Purple's Choice this coming year. Yeah. Paul, do we have number three? Are we ready? I'm ready. It is, with 14% of the vote, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, colon, Jack the Ripper, ampersand, West End Adventures. Nice. Investigating your colon in the West in End. Um, I, mm. So, so <laughs> this is the, the, the murderous this is the follow-up. This is the sequel kind of to the original set, which was yes. an expansion that was only released in France and then also some extra stuff. Basically, it's Bonjour. more Sherlock Holmes. You want to solve some more Sherlock mysteries? Do I? Do you? Actually, you? no. I've only done about three of the first ones. I also have very, not finished good, the box. Though. They are really good, but um, like they, I find they actually it, work yeah. in a kind of a logical way where you have to sometimes. Um, I'm, like, I was it last year I reviewed Mythos. The year before, I don't know. I'm so. Oh, old. Mythos Tales, the uh, the Lovecraftian yeah. uh, similar mystery solving game, which is quite good, but it doesn't have the same sort of deductive. There's things in Sherlock Holmes where you have to infer something from a bit of information that's missing, rather than just go somewhere and get a clue that tells you a thing. And right. It's that, yeah that different level of thing that makes Sherlock Holmes to me actual, you know, real detective work. Like I think in one of the cases, I hope this isn't a huge spoiler, like somebody's wife isn't around and that's a big deal. Uh, But you would only get that if you were properly, you know, alert to the context. And I never found nearly as much stuff like that in mythos. And oh yeah, no, it's, you get to be a detective. Yeah. Well, this is something that's interesting because, um, Number seven on this list, which of course we skipped past with 38 votes, was uh, the Unlock series. And last year was a year when a lot of escape room board games came out. Mm. And yeah, our forum turning around and saying, yeah, all these escape room games are really fun, but it's not Sherlock Holmes solving a mystery with a newspaper. No. Yeah. If people haven't seen our consultant's detective review, that's worth checking out. It I is... mean, there are there are real opportunities to be clever in that as well. Like to be In like, Unlock? Yeah. No, in uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, you mean for the players? Yeah. Yeah, like real opportunities to think outside of the box. And like that, in fact, that's how you do really well in it. Like you, you're never going to actually do well in any of those cases by the game's metrics, by just sort of following the breadcrumbs and doing what, you know, doing what you're told or going with the options. There's always a degree of being like thinking and having an abstract thought of being like, but what if we do this? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well done. You have solved the puzzle. Yep. Well, so while the three of us are struggling to get through the consult the the con- consultations that we have, um there is a third and final or not even final actually. I got told I got told off for saying that on the news. Um there is a third set of adventures coming out and hopefully we'll still be able to do it. But we lined up an interview with the designer of that, mm. which hopefully we can publish on the site because 
I would love to know how you go about creating a consultant yeah. detective mystery. You just watch yeah. loads of Midsummer Murders, the I, best crime show in the world. I want to say it's more complicated than that. Um, you, you want to, but you can't. I, also, I sideswiped you earlier, but yeah, if people want to know about Consulting Detective, they should check out your review on the site. Yes, it's a review of the old, uglier edition, uh, which has more typos. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, but the points I make are still, I hope, valid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. fantastic. I want to play more. It seems like the sort of game that's perfect to sit down and play as a couple, actually. Uh, but my wife is not that interested in that sort of thing, so I don't do it. I think it is, the, in some ways, the ultimate couple game, but also I think it's the ultimate solo game. Yeah. To have a whiskey in the bath, pop up in a newspaper, and, and you fail know, to solve a crime. I should just do that. I should just do that. Because I, I find whenever I've got friends around, people want to play more of a game game. Uh, it'd be a perfect post-dinner party thing, though, but I don't really have those either. And yet, you know what is perfect and always squeezes into any game night is Unlock. Yes. Um, if I've got, I get sent the unlock games and then at the end of a game night, it's like we have 60 minutes and I'm like, well, we can play unlock and it's always a blast. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, so yeah, look at unlock if you want to. But Paul, we have another number three on this list tied well, with it, Is it a tie? Because, you know, it's, it's higher and I feel it might have 14, like 14.01% of the vote. I don't know. It's Pandemic Legacy Season 2. I'm not doing the sums. <laughs> I can't. We we didn't fall in love with this, did we, Quinns? Uh, no. And you know what's funny is possibly through exposure to me. In my review of Pandemic Legacy Season 2, uh, which, uh, goodness, there's too much to explain here. If you don't know what Pandemic Legacy is, we've got a review of that. We have another review of Season 2 on the site. If you don't know what Pandemic is, which is this is what is this How is did you find on... this podcast? Yeah, goodness I mean, me. Yes. Good for you. But, yeah. um, but yes, in the review I said, mm, don't know if season two is as good as season one. And now, since then, Paul, Paul, are you ready? Paul, no. Matt has yes. been playing season two and also agrees that maybe it's a bit wobblier. Yeah, I think so. I mean, actually, I, mean, I went into it's it. It's still go. interesting, right? First of yeah, all. Like absolutely. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's like, it's still fun. Don't yeah, get me wrong. 100%. Um, I, I found I actually went into it with like a kind of a... I completely open mind. I was like, okay, well, like, you know, Quinn's didn't like it as much as the first one. In a way, I found it really useful because I went into it with tempered expectations and I thought, well, you know, there is always the chance here that uh, Quinn's went into it fueled with hype and excitement and didn't kind of manage to ding that bell at the top of the hammer thing. But no, I think going into it with tempered expectations, I've been having fun with it, but there are some fundamental, and I, you know, I won't, I won't spoil anything here at all, but there are some fundamental things about it which um, don't quite hang together as well. I think Quinn's was completely right mm. that... Um, the sci-fi setting um, does uh, f make it harder for you to inject your um, own sense of context into the choices you're making, mm. which I found personally actually affects the game on a mechanical level because um, I, it makes me more of a quarterback, makes me more of the sort of player who is giving yeah. people orders. Because what I found in the first season of Pandemic Legacy was because you were in the real world in a setting which was not detached from, you know, no, it was pretty detached from possibility. I'm not going to say that, but it was, <laughs> but it was still our world. It was familiar. Yes. And yeah. it meant that when you were having uh, debates with people around the table about, should we do this or this or this, they were all kind of real world things that you could envision. And they were yeah. all things that people were often voting from their gut. And it <laughs> meant that sometimes I would have the sense that the things that people wanted to do were not good decisions in terms of gaming the game, mm. but I felt that they believed them and yeah. that's what they wanted to if do someone says so we did it people are dying in shanghai i just want to save yeah, them then exactly like, you can't argue with that exactly whereas in season two yeah, in season two it has a thing of everyone is putting forward their idea of what they think the best thing to do is in terms of winning the game and 
I find it harder to go, okay, we'll go with your inferior strategy, <laughs> you know? Where I was more than happy to be like, that's not the best strategy in the world, but I can tell you guys really want to go and save London, so we're going to do it. Yeah, I think in the review, it's like, what, 15 minutes long, and it's quite complicated. I really, now with hindsight, realise I could have summarised my review of Pandemic Legacy Season 2 as Pandemic Legacy Season 1 is just pandemic which is award-winning. Season two is not pandemic, and it is never pandemic at any point. It's mm. just this kind of inventive and not terrible, but definitely not award-winning game. And there's something also, I think, really interesting about the fact that just the shift in um, context of instead of mm. removing bad cubes, you put down good cubes. Yeah, you put down medical supplies rather than take scrub off yeah, so you, uh, disease. So you put down supplies which will then be eaten away at rather than removing diseases. And just there's something that's so much more satisfying about removing bad things than there is of putting good things that will hopefully stop bad things. Yes, because... It's less of a good feel there. Yeah, with you're putting down good things that just then get like crumbled away to nothing by the disease. Yeah. So it's like this Sisyphean task, whereas if you can clean diseases, then maybe you can permanently clean them It's up. also the immediacy of it. Like when you remove a disease yes. pile, you think, that's gone, we did that, yes. Whereas in this, if you put something down and then the next turn, something bad happens there, you get that moment of niceness of going, whew, lucky we put those things there. But often it'll be like, you know, a couple of turns later yeah. and you'll have kind of forgotten that. So you don't even get the good feel-good bump of being like, we sure did a good job there because you're just like, yeah, well, there's some stuff there because I guess we put it there at some point. <laughs> it doesn't Which sound is so urgent. That's the thing I would say. Sorry, but I, I, to, it's rude to button, but I just no, it's fine. immediately I've got this thing of like, it doesn't sound like you're racing against time. It sounds like you're sort of stocking the cupboard. But no, you are, is the thing. And actually like, it's interesting in the fact, it's very interesting to me because uh, I'm a nerd but it's the fact that actually you're playing a very a quite a similar game in some regards um, in the early stages, and there isn't a huge amount of distance. It's just difference. It's just a contextual difference of what you're doing, and the contextual difference as a way of freshening up the game maybe actually detracts a lot of the simple joy of the game, which is a shame. They definitely changed it. Uh, I, I don't know if they felt they had to or they wanted to, but there's definitely a drive to produce something that is so different from season one, mm. which would ordinarily be admirable, but we can't sit there and say that it's better. when No, it's I don't think it is. Yeah. And I think the final thing, which I, I feel is so far not really panning out for us too well, is the um, attempting to use a kind of almost Margaret Atwood-style dystopian storytelling technique of having, as you go through the game, the, the story you unveil between months, uh, rather than in the first season where it's very much like, it's February, this is happening. It's March, this is happening. It's April, oh no, this is happening. Yeah. In this, you're unveiling these cards, which you read, but you're slowly un un revealing the past of, um, how you got, yeah. of how you got here. So it's doing the thing of being like, hey, we're here, the world's not in a great state. Now we're going to do this backstory over the last 70 years that and it's like, that works in science fiction novels and science fiction films with this sort of flashback into the modern, because in those mediums, you exist in that modern place. You exist, you know, when it's like the modern day and you're in this dystopia, you've got like that place. Whereas, unfortunately, in Pandemic Legacy Season 2, you've just got this board. You and, have a map which you can't look at. Yeah, and like, even when you explore new the new cities you have a cool mechanic where you you can explore cities and you don't really get any new f much flavor from that we, and, were, yeah. we were discussing paul actually um do you remember you played some seafall right uh, rob davio's yes. other yeah, legacy game. quite a quite a bit of it yes do you remember how in seafall when you explored a new place um there would be a, a big fragment of story in an attached booklet Yes. Um, and the writing in C4 wasn't very good and that never really felt like a very interesting mechanic. Um, it, but in, it was fine. It was functional. 
Yeah, I, we, Matt and I were talking about how in Pandemic Legacy Season 2, it actually would have benefited from that. If every time you uh, arrived at a new city, um, you know, you turned to a page in a book and it said, this is what is happening in this city, it would might have brought the world to life in a way that ultimately made me care about it, rather mm. than what the game is, which is like, almost like some kind of score attack mode in a video game where yeah. you, there is no human being in that world at any point. You know what? I wonder if flipping the two around might help because Seafall does have that kind of clinical, like you go here, you see a thing. And there's some unusual stuff in Seafall, but it doesn't really get described as being unusual or mysterious. And mm. I wonder if swapping those two styles and having Pandemic, you know, being the clinical, factual one, you know, that is somehow more real that way. And then having Seafall being a, a little more uh, verbose might have worked better. Well, you know, I think it's actually a similar thing to what we're talking about with Azul, really. Of like, Often there's a degree of games are very successful, but it's hard to pinpoint exactly why. And we, we have this all the time with stuff we do as well. Like, you know, why people love things versus why you think it's good is often not the same. And I think mm-hmm. with Pandemic Legacy, it's like, actually, you know, that was quite a clinical game at times. The writing in it wasn't very good, but it conjured up enough of uh, a sense of story and scene that you really got into it. And even having character types and character jobs, which were familiar things of being like, yeah, you know, I'm in... You're an army this, general, yeah. but I'm a medic. Exactly. Stuff like this. You know, it's it's you can get into those roles where in the future it's like, you know, it's more vague and you try and get into the roles. And we are having some fun with that. I think the problem with it really is it was just very ambitious. And, I, you know, I applaud that in many ways. Um, but it really was trying to do a lot of things. It was trying to follow on from a very popular game and it thought, well, let's try and make it feel really different. Let's try and make it feel mechanically really different. Let's try a different storytelling technique. Let's try a different setting. And I kind of feel like it may be bit off more than it can chew in terms of trying to do something very new. But then lots of people really dig it. Well, this so. is it. I'm so self-conscious about uh, my review because I think it was the first and maybe still the only big high-profile review which was like, eh, I don't know about this. And I... And yet, the rating on Board Game Geek, you know, the thousands of people who've rated Pandemic Legacy Season 2, like, the original game is something like an 8.2, and this mm-hmm. one's a 7.8. So people generally do seem less excited. I don't know. I think I think it's an interesting product. I do. Well, uh, we'll get to... I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Season 3, which we know is coming. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, Paul, what's next on our list of the best games that is the best games of 2017? Well, so in second place, and this is 19%, bear in mind Pandemic Legacy Season 2 was at 14%. So, and by the way, clearly, you know, lots of our readers enjoyed that if they ranked that all the way at number three. At number two, we have Twilight Imperium, the fourth edition, one of the oh, biggest, physically biggest mama. releases. And one of the, when did third edition come out? Is that like 2005 now? So this is... It's huge. It's not been reignited, re-released in a while. And, oh boy, there's there's a lot we can say about this. <laughs> yeah, you say that and immediately my brain empties and I have no idea what to say. Well, it's fine, I'll jump in. I had, when when Matt and I, uh, I think it was just the two of us at one point when we were doing some of the documentary stuff, when we played like a test game of it, mm. um, I really enjoyed that. And I really yeah. enjoyed... Having played the third edition, I really enjoyed feeling the ways that they'd slipstreamed it and the way that it felt a bit faster because I was ready for us to, you know, get into like turn two or three in the evening to be over. And it actually really did run a bit faster. It ran more <clears throat> ran more efficiently and it felt it felt like they hadn't just like taken bits out, they had smoothed everything 
you know, quite diligently. You know, interestingly, I think it's the opposite of the ethos that they went into Pandemic Legacy Season 2 with, where Season 2 was like, it has to be novel, has to be different, we're going to be different for the sake of being different, and we're going to throw all the ideas in. And then Twilight Imperium Season 4 is saying, no, we're going to examine every corner of this game, we're going to change it, we're going to smooth it down, we're going to remove the bits that don't work, and we're going to put more focus on the bits that do. Yeah. So it's a luxury of distance though, isn't it? That's the thing, you know. Yeah, like, you have 15 years they, distance to go. They have 15 years of being like, oh, we got to do more. Let's do an expansion. Cool, chuck it out. Let's do another expansion. Let's do this. That's kind of mad. That's good. You know, I'm not saying they just chucked it out. They put thought into these things. You know, they, they did good things. But then once you've actually had like, a, in many cases, like a good like five, 10 longer years yeah. to be like, was that a good idea? And like, sometimes, no. And it was interesting, actually, they roll back and were like, no, we, we had a lot of wackiness in there and we want to roll back on that. And yeah, it's funny because like, we're seeing Kickstarters now for new editions of board games from like 2005. We're seeing, you know, some uh, old games from the 90s being, you know, brought back into the into the fore. I am so fascinated by which games are immediately like eclipsed and forgotten. Like so many of the games Shut Up and Sit Down was reviewing like four years ago, we don't play anymore. Like, I don't know, Village or something by Inker and Marcus Brand. Um, but Twilight Imperium, whatever it is, it's so funny that new editions come out and everyone's like, yeah, this is still being a, a bellicose space cat and you're the space turtles. <laughs> and You know, this is still a great little war we're fighting. Everyone there, still loves it. There hasn't been anything else come along, I think, that has done it better. And the thing is, TI could be, it could actually be like more complicated, but it's not, or it could take even longer, but it doesn't. And I think there's something to be said that Although it's intimidatingly big, a lot of the rules, a lot of the ele elements that make up the game are actually not complicated. They're just simple. They're just, this is how you do combat. You roll a die, you try and hit yeah. this number. I was just, just about to bring that up. It, it was. I, my... I really like that. It's like, it takes a long time, but once you tell someone how to do a thing, they tend to just remember it and internalize it. And, and I really like that. I like that it's kind of boiled down. Yeah, it's... It's so many elements of it are simple where so many Kickstarter games are, are complicated. Like, how many sort of dudes on a map war games have we played where combat is like, well, this is your deck and you can upgrade your deck and this is your dice and you can upgrade your soldiers along this path. And Twilight Imperium 4th is like, no, you roll a dice. Yeah. It's a big yeah. ship. If you've got more ships, you've got a better chance, but you still might lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, it just, no, it is. It just smooths everything Especially out. when you don't want people to fixate on that. I mean, it's what we found with like, you know, the... Um, Star Wars Rebellion uh, expansion. It's just like, this doesn't need to have more in it. But then some people love that. But no, with TI, absolutely doesn't. You do not need a combat system in that game that's anymore. No, not really, no. Because, because... It will go on forever. Because combat <laughs> is only ever between two people. And yeah. Twilight Imperium at its best is a space community where yep. you do an action and three people around the table go, what are you doing? It is just an electric <laughs> thing. Actually, a guy, um, uh, a chap called John Hicks, who we all know, um, who was an old editor of magazines, he used to be the editor of Xbox Magazine when I work there he he basically i saw him a couple of like, months ago and he was like oh yeah i'm about to go and play a game tomorrow i think a really long game oh it's uh what's it called and he's like i think it's called like twilight imperium and i was just like oh wow you're playing twilight imperium tomorrow he's like yeah so i need to go home from the pub this is like at half past midnight and he, was like, <laughs> he was like yeah i need to go because i'm already quite drunk and i need to start playing at 10 in the morning or something stupid and i'm like oh you're gonna have you're gonna have a hell of a day and it was a lovely thing i then saw like a photo posted on facebook like at like nine o'clock the next day in the, in the evening being like just finished yeah i won like after many wow. hours of like da -da -da, i won and what you know and then literally like a couple of facebook comments down being like yeah, you won because you stabbed like all of your allies in the back. Like, and I just love that. It's like that somebody I, who plays a couple of games can be like, I'm going to try this thing. And then it's like, 
12 hours later, I stabbed everyone in the back. And now I am in <laughs> charge of the galaxy. Everybody relates to it, I think. It's the, the fact that the rules don't try to tell you how to feel or really what to do. They It just provides a framework for you to be a, a space git. I really want to play it again. Like I've, that, The only time I've played it was when we literally played, we sat in on that playtest for the fourth edition when we were filming the documentary. And uh, the whole time I was editing the documentary, I just, after that, after actually getting a feel for what it was, because it wasn't what I thought at all. I was expecting a much more bitty, strategy, yeah. crunchy game. And actually I'm like, this is just people chatting nonsense around well, the table. Well, this is it. Like, I think it was funny doing the, my review of fourth edition last year compared to the old review of third edition we did. Where the old edition, review of third edition was before Kickstarter. Mm. So it was us going, look at all these pieces and components and rules. Insane, yeah. And yet now we have all these Kickstarter board games which have loads of components. And in that environment, I was fascinated. And in my review, I focused on the fact that TI4 survives because, yeah, it has bits, but it's people who are the focus. Mm. And like the increased um, uh, onus on like politics and implementing laws and uh, and smoothing everything else out means that it becomes like the space opera where, you know, you are the opera singers. Like, mm. And that said, what on earth are they going to release in the expansion? Because they've always done expansions for Twilight Imperium. I have no idea. They're going to do an expansion for fourth edition because I think it's sold well enough. Like, they've now smoothed this game down to nothing, down to this, like, aerodynamic sports car that we all love. And they're going to pour a bunch of ideas into it for the expansion. It's like, what do you do? You know? yeah, it's, it's actually a really good question because they've deliberately taken things out that I don't think they're just going to add back in again so like minefields which were the worst idea ever oh yeah <laughs> like, yeah so what's it going to be it's going to be some kind of fresh fruit hopefully that we've never seen before I just hope that it continues to do what TI4 does and put players at the focus I hope it lets players have different relationships to each other I hope it expands yeah diplomacy I hope it lets mm-hmm. people be characters and be aliens I think they were going down that route and I think actually from again from listening to all the people in that company talking about it. I think that they all feel the same way about that as well, in terms of that's what they feel is the heart of the game. If that's true, then that's really exciting. Although we should mention that uh, Twilight Imperium's closest competitor has always been a game called Eclipse, and we have, I believe, the Kickstarter for the new competitive version of Eclipse coming out next month. Eclipse having like a lot less personality than Twilight Imperium, but generally being like a more cohesive strategic game. So that's a bit of competition. Um, Is it time for the number one, Paul? Ah, I'm not ready. I've got the envelope here. (laughs) I'm opening it now. It's weird they didn't ask you to do the Oscars. (laughs) I'd be really good at the Oscars. Paul staring at the envelope with a glazed expression. (laughs) Ah, I'm not ready. I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, but you know that's true and that's really what would happen. Sorry, I'm just opening the envelope now. Ah, it's Gloomhaven. Oh... That's fine. Do you that? It just means we haven't got anything to talk about because we've already kind of talked. It was about the that. first game we talked about. It was the last game we maybe won't talk it about. It was the best of times, and it was very good times, and we like it. There's stuff to learn from that design. I swear, it's a big weird thing, but uh, especially it came out. It was 2016, wasn't it? It first came out. The first print run. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, I think, I think so. so. So it's it's been around for a few years now, and it just seems to be like. I I fully went into that review uh, expecting to not 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 enjoy myself, but to come out of it being like this is quite good. But and you know because it just I was not prepared for something that mm. big and 
uh, ambitious to hang together to succeed yeah because it just I frequently it, doesn't and that's just a problem with big things yeah it's just as i was saying in the shut up and sit down comments uh, this week uh, it's we just play the averages and after you've looked at a lot of games like kingdom death or paul side review where you play it and go this is good it's it's got problems um that we were just expecting that from gloomhaven and then to have you turn around and be like the problems are all kind of small and weird and specific yeah and mm. overall it's awesome was uh, was just such a nice surprise yeah, yeah. lovely uh, what would you tell people? Would you tell people to buy Gloomhaven? Because <laughs> um, I, I, that sounds like such a stupid question, but I think availability of it when we released the review wasn't great. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those games where like you've got to make sure you get it for the price it's supposed to be, which I think is about hundred pounds. I think um, because maybe slightly more because they really inflate when availability is low. Like people immediately like, yes. oh, it says it's 250 pounds. Do not, like, don't think about that. Because yeah. it's like, it's honestly quite well priced for what you get when it's at like retail price. Um, any more than that. And it's just, it will feel like a bit of a cheap thing. It's funny, isn't it? Like there are games like Azul or Sheriff of Nottingham um, where we can say, yeah, buy it. You'll have fun. Um, whereas yeah. Gloomhaven, I think, my only advice would be go and watch Matt's 30-minute yeah. review because it is great. But <laughs> so This is the thing. It's yeah. like, you asked me that question and my answer is, well, Quinn's, People should watch my 30-minute review. All I will say is I'm a decent video editor and it's 30 minutes that are very well-paced, so it will not feel like 30 minutes. It may feel like 15. And it it deserves it, though. I mean, it's a game that's that ambitious and large and has so much going on that, you know, it deserves to be dug into and and chewed up. You're not wrong. If you're thinking about buying Gloomhaven, you can afford half an hour to watch a review because it's going to take you almost twice as long as that just to set it up each time you play it. <laughs> so, and honestly, it is one of these things where I think you get to the end of the review and you will either know, yes, this is for me, or no, this is not for me. Because it's, there are criticisms of it, but often the criticisms are strange things that actually are reasons that I love it. But it's very much a case of like, if you know what you're going into and you have friends who are up for it, then you're going to be having a great time. You know what's funny is that I don't disagree with anyone saying this is the game of the year. I think, you know, Matt's 30-minute review is really interesting. But I tell you what's rare is that I haven't played Gloomhaven and I don't feel the inclination to buy it. I know what it is. I know mm-hmm. everyone thinks it's great. I don't feel I need to play it. And I feel like that's a rarity. Every year I'm like, oh, I've got to play the top 10 board games. But Gloomhaven, I'm like, sort of watching kids play at a distance and I'm like, you know, that swing set's not for me. <laughs> But it's, then that's, yeah. I was going to say, surely that's also because you have done things that like you've watched the review and you know, you feel you've experienced it anyway. Well, I think maybe it's just that Matt's review gave me too much of a good idea of what the game is. Because like with Kingdom Death, I was watching reviews, not your review, Paul, but Kingdom Death, uh, you know, I was trying to learn about it and I was still going, mm-hmm. what, what is this yeah, game? Yeah. So I, I had to play it, but then... I just got too good of an impression of, of what it is. Well, a part of the whole appeal of Gloomhaven as well is this idea that you're going to sit down with a couple of friends and play through a big campaign over a period of time and you might not get that far into it, but you're, you're going to commit to it to some degree. So I think there's something inherently about the idea of, yeah, I'm just going to try this game that feels pointless. Like, there's no point just being like, yeah, I'll try around. And in fact, I think once times, a couple of times around the time when I was reviewing it, I was like, oh, you know, you could pop over and play, you could play in our session. But just knowing that you're just playing it once feels... A little bit pointless, maybe. Hmm. Even though it is fun. You'd have fun. On, but, that, on yeah. that sober note, Matt, would you like to reach into the mailbag? <laughs> yeah, give me a second. Let me just reach into the... Put your hand in the mailbag for me a letter. Wow. Sorry, it's got a heavy one this week. 
This is... It's, it's not emotionally heavy. No, it's a very, very large letter. <laughs> it's written on... It's not a long letter either. No, it's just written on a very, very, very large piece of paper with a huge lettering. Um, this is a gigantic letter from Ross McCready. And he says, I wanted to flag up something you didn't mention in your Christmas pledge drive, the amazing play-by-forum section of your lovely website. I haven't really got a question, but if you do a Purple's Choice podcast, which could you just thank all the people who have DM'd threads over there? These people have let me experience a huge range of games I could have never found without them. I've escaped from a shady Star Wars cantina, failed to rescue a mayor from his burning medieval tower, run a bar called the Skull and Roses in a strange apocalyptic world, and helps create a disheartening future society in microscope form. All this and more because this website exists. Special thanks to Sleepy Will, whose grand Pendragon campaign has actually kept me awake at night. He's so invested in the story. And in the last year, Sleepy Will has written hundreds of posts and thousands of words telling the story of a small band of knights. Please can you let people know how appreciated they all are. This is a big part of why I come back. Just shut up and sit down again and again. Cheers from Ross. Wow. We'll Aww. absolutely uh, thank the GMs over on the Shut Up and Sit Down play-by-forum section. Uh, thank you guys so much for the work that you do. But hey, it was one GM to another. I know you guys love this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's terrific to read about and it's terrific just to think about as well. I did particularly like, ah, oh, I played Pendragon, which is this game of like chivalric legacies in Arthurian time. I played that when I was like 12 and I did not get it at all. And I can <laughs> totally see now the appeal of like, you know, I'm sort of playing somebody's son or I'm playing somebody's dad and I want to pass on out, you know, our legacy and how that, that could actually work really, really well on the internet. Yeah, I actually, some of the really big, wide, wobbly RPGs, which just scare me too much to play on pen and paper, like um, Ars Magica, where you, you, it's a game of medieval European wizards, Mm. but you don't just play a wizard, you play a wizard and their entire extended staff, so that on any given mission, it's like, no, my wizard's researching, I'm playing his apprentice, Matthew, or or whatever. (laughs) Oh no, he is going to die. (laughs) Yeah, but um, that would be such a nightmare to try and, you know, play all those roles in person on forum. Be great. Um, So yeah, just a quick note to say, if you've not visited uh, shutupandsitdown.com's forum yet, it is an incredibly lovely, friendly place uh, with award ceremonies and games and discussions and all kinds of great stuff. So why not drop by, make yourself welcome. Yeah, get yourself warmed up for next year's Purple Choice. By the digital fire. Yeah, and maybe the more votes we get, I don't know loads about statistics, but I think the more votes we get, the less ties we're going to have. That's true. Yeah, no, I think that's probably true. It's definitely true. It's numbers. Uh, right, well, goodness, we haven't had time to talk about any of the games we've been playing, so should Fine. we just tease what's coming on the it's next podcast? It's a Purple's Choice special. It is. As is right and should be in the world. Next episode, we're going to be talking about Matt and my impressions of stuffed fables and yep. why we're not going to be reviewing it, mm. which is exciting. Yeah, and I mean, what else have we we've been playing so much stuff recently? It's been ridiculous. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Isle of Sky expansion. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul, what have you been playing? I have been playing a bit of Star Wars Legion, a bit of Hardline <gasps> Animals. Oh, yeah, that, I don't know that, what that came is. out left field. Um, and Age of Steam, a game that we apparently, as board game review professionals, should have always played and were supposed to have played and were supposed to know about. I have now played it, and I yeah. now know about it. Thank goodness you're making us all more professional Phew. by proxy. <laughs> you got pinned down and forced to play that by a friend of the show, Ben Kutcher, I, and uh, that's Cardboard. That's not how I... 
describe it, but <laughs> I, was in, I was encouraged to participate. Cornered, I did, maybe not. Yeah, I, I did willingly. Um, and the one thing I'll tease is that, like, I'm glad that I did. There was some things to say about it. This is terrible. I forget his name, but there was a guy at Shucks uh, last year who sort of met me on day one and was like, hey, I've got Age of Steam. I'd love to teach you Age of Steam. And I was like, yeah, I'll play Age of Steam. Not knowing that obviously I was going to be insanely busy for like four days straight. You were so optimistic. (laughs) Going into Shucks, you're like, it's fine. We'll just walk around and play games and hang out with people. It's going to be so much fun. I was like, I don't know, man. I think we're going to be quite busy. And then like like star wipe to day two. And I'm just like, I'm so tired. I think I'm going to die. Yeah. (laughs) I kept seeing this guy every day though. That was the worst the next day. You ready for play ready you want to play edge of steam and i was like oh i can't can't right now now or ever but i kept seeing it every day and every yeah. day he was like Do you want to play edge of steam and i was like no i can't, <laughs> I can't play edge of steam. Uh, but paul has now played age of steam so we're Congratulations, gonna find Paul. all about ages and steam i like trains i'm waiting for the one train game that's gonna i'm waiting for the take one train my heart game. paul no we can't ask him now we have to ask yeah, him i'm not i'm gonna time. say nothing i've actually signed a contract that I cannot talk about trains for the rest of this week. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.